Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. I am super pumped about this last message. This is going to be good. Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to be doing a little bit of bouncing around and pulling in other scriptures, but it really, uh, the story makes a ton of sense after this chapter, and I'm excited about it. Uh, I encourage you, just in terms of making a decision, not every sermon, every week, as much as we try to be, uh, is that too loud for you? How many that's too loud? Okay. It's an echo. Is it reverb? No? Everything's muted? Is the echo still up, though? Or did you kill the effects? No, that's strange. Echo. Still? Yeah. Oh, God bless you. Hey, I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just what I need, more coffee. Uh, I'm trying to think what's changed, Kyle. Um, Everything's muted? Cool. I don't know. Maybe it'll get better. Sounds good? (laughs) I love you, Miss Luann. Amen. (laughs) We're uh, we're working with it. We had had luck this morning with it, so... One service is, is probably all we're going to get today. We'll probably have to go to the other one. We'll, we'll roll with it and see what happens. If I get too loud, just plug your ears. And uh, Just kidding. Uh, but hopefully it's, not, hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, yeah, so honestly, not every week is a, a call to action from, from the text. Some weeks, you know, it's a clear message of the gospel. Other weeks, it's more uh, application from a, a Christian perspective of, you know, how you should live, or so on and so forth, but this week is, look, it is a direct call to action. It is a direct call to decide to be loyal to Yahweh, decide to be loyal in our context, uh, in our covenant, the new covenant, to Jesus. And so uh, today's message, it, it should lead you to a place where you say, I want to be like Ruth, and declare my loyalty to Jesus. And I make no bones about that this morning. Uh, If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, today is the day. Uh, And I don't care, and he doesn't care, where you are, where you've been, what you're going through, and you're gonna see this in the text. He does not care. He loves you, he wants you. Uh, After three chapters, three weeks, now the fourth week in this study, what you're gonna see is that you are the object of this story. And if you don't, then it's a huge miss on my part. So that's why I'm just putting this out there in the beginning. And then we're going to dive in and go through the whole thing. But but the, the point of today's message is that you are redeemed. No one should leave the broadcast online or leave the auditorium today not feeling like Jesus has redeemed you, he has bought you back, and you're Your entire life is cared for. Your entire eternity is cared for. He loves you. He's paid the price. He's gone the distance. And you are the object of his affection. Uh, No one should feel uh, any differently than that after today. So uh, this story takes a a turn, um, if you will. The, The narrator purposefully omits Naomi and Ruth from the equation. And this man named Boaz 
who was a part of this strange scenario last week, uh, comes to the forefront and does what he said he's going to do. And so I encourage you, if you haven't listened to or you weren't here for the past weeks, they're on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Go back and listen to those. Uh, This message will stand on its own, but there will be a lot of uh, information and gaps filled in from other weeks. Uh, But for sake of time, uh, we're just going to jump into chapter 4 with a little sprinkling of the others. So in, in this chapter, we see massively huge implications, huge implications for us, for everyone, in fact. Uh, and I think that that's what, excuse me, God bless, while it's hot, strike while the iron's hot here. Oh, that's delicious. How many enjoyed the coffee today? God bless all of you that helped with that, uh, a.k.a. Cody and Chelsea. Amen. Uh, if you want to help with coffee and you want to show up a little early, see Cody and Chelsea. Amen. That would be a blessing to them. But this, this coffee's really good. Man, this is, uh, this is a blessing. It's ministering to me. Amen. One more step. One more. Amen. Amen. That's good. Warming the vocal cords there. Uh, So, the implications are are just unreal. They're huge. It continues, the the story, the more you dig in, it just continues to evolve. And and for me, it's like you have this post-exilic book, right, probably written, paired with Judges, maybe by Samuel, we're not 100% sure. But the idea that you're probably going to roll 1,500 years or so into the New Testament And we're going to land in Matthew chapter 1 talking about the genealogy that this book sets the stage for. I I don't know of a better way uh, in in discipleship terms, Mike, to build your faith. Kyle, it sounds really good. I don't know if it's it's just slowly changing. I just wanted to acknowledge that whatever you're doing, you're doing a good job. Uh, but, But I don't know of a better way to build your faith than to say, listen... 1,500 years before the Gospels. Everybody, when, when you come to Christianity, one of the first things you do is read the book of John, right? You, you read the New Testament, what Jesus did, the story. Maybe it's an Easter Sunday that draws you in and we talk about the resurrection. Jesus is amazing. Look, this stage has, has been set for thousands of years. And this little post-exilic book gives us, it pulls the curtain back to how Jesus, how the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how Yahweh, the supreme being of the universe, decided to reveal himself to mankind. And that's what we have to understand. It's not scripture in an ancient Near East context, written to these people back then, is the time period that God said, uh, here's where I'm going to reveal myself to man. If God chose to reveal himself in 2022, right, like uh, some sort of Marty and and Doc, back to the future thing, if this is where he decided to come into this year and reveal himself, the story would look differently. Do you understand? The story is based upon the context of those people and how they lived back then. And so that makes it even that much more rich when we learn about this story. Because what are the facts so far? Bethlehem, Judah, Elimelech, and Naomi Israelites up and moved because of a famine and land in in Moab, not the land where Jesus comes from, if you will. They land in a foreign country. Their their sons, Chilion and Malon, pick wives of that nation, of that region. Not Jewish women, but Moabitess women. You understand what I'm saying? They, They were culturally diverse in that time frame, in that time period. Uh, in, in, in so much so that Naomi says to Orpah and Naomi, when 
Elimelech and Malon and Chilion pass away in that land, she says, go back what? To your homeland. Go back home and find you a husband. I'm not so lucky. I'm not so lucky. I'm too old to bear a child, but you're not too old. And your chances of finding somebody are where you what? Come from. Not where I'm headed. Does everybody feel the weight of this? Romans chapter one, I'm sorry, Romans, huh? Yeah, that'd be a great place to land too. Ruth chapter one, verse 16, 17, and 18, Ruth chooses to say, where you go, Naomi, I'm gonna go. Where you stay, I'll stay, I'll follow you. Your God will be what? My God. A non-Israelite, non-Jew says, I'm going to be a foreigner in your land and adopt your God for who? My God, that's why the series is called Decisively Loyal. Ruth chooses, she chooses that day when Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, Judah. She says, I'm going with you. What, what do we see? We see that Ruth made a decision to choose Yahweh, the God of Israel, to be her God. That's the larger overarching story is that then she, she's an immigrant. She's then now in a land that Naomi understands, but she does not. And she goes with permission to glean from a field. She lands herself in this man's field, called, uh, this man named Boaz. And Boaz sees her and says, I understand your story. I know why you're here. And he says, I'm going to be, uh, look, I'm going to be very kind. I'm going to tell you what you need to do and where you need to go to get everything you need because the God of Israel is going to, what did he say in chapter 2? He's going to reward your faithfulness. He's going to reward your decision. So you get this sense that Boaz is like, I'm operating in this decision. I'm operating in this place. I'm just stewarding what the Lord has given me. And the Lord's telling me to be a blessing to her. And what, is, what does Ruth say? She says, I'm a foreigner. Why are you treating me like this? And Boaz says, no. You think you're a foreigner. But when you decided to follow Naomi, you became a daughter. These are the implications. And she continues to do and, and take her talking points from Naomi all the way up to chapter three. Remember, it was a little sketchy. We were like, what just happened? She comes to him by night and uncovers his feet. We'll leave it there. And, and then, at that point, she declares to him basically her intentions. I want you to redeem my family. I want you, and remember there were two things at play, the land that Elimelech owned, and her, the posterity of the family, her receiving a child from whoever their kinsman redeemer would be. And Boaz says this to her. Verse 13, Ruth chapter three, verse 13, Boaz says this, stay here tonight and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down here until the morning. Boaz makes a promise in chapter three to her, and he says, listen, there's, there's a path here. There, there's the principle of the matter. I understand that you're coming to me out of desperation. I understand, Ruth, that you are extremely vulnerable. We talked about this last week. This was literally, the narrator perfectly puts this in that culture, in that context, that Ruth was in the most vulnerable position she could ever be in. And Boaz says to her, we're going to do this thing right. Man, what do I see within this? I, look, it's important who you pick to be your friends. It's important who you pick to be around. 
It's important, we talked about this last week, who you choose to go all in with. And every parent said, "Uh uh-huh. Don't we wish we could all just like open up our children's head and just like pour good friends in? (laughs) This is what you're looking for. Head back on, screw on straight, go. Go and do that likewise. But it doesn't work that way. We sit back and we, (laughs) you know, as we watch them choose their acquaintances and we try to speak truth into them, like, that's probably not the best friend. Why? Because we know we've been around enough to know that who they choose to be their friends and their acquaintances will then choose their path. And so we see here that the Lord has determined, because she chose to follow the Lord, the Lord has determined her path for her. That's an incredible thing, right? So Boaz makes a promise there, Ruth chapter three, verse 13. Remember, this is the last time these two ladies are mentioned. The end of chapter three. What does that mean? What does it mean that it is the last time that they were mentioned? Once again, it means that they have taken this story. The narrator is showing and portraying that these women cannot do anything else of what they've already done. The land is at stake. Their posterity is at stake. Her receiving a child to continue and live in this society is at stake. And they have literally gone to the nth degree. They've gone as far as they can take this thing. And the rest of it now is up to Boaz. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? (laughs) You, You and I, it seems like we were in a similar situation. Do you remember where you were when the Lord found you? Do you remember where you were, uh, maybe even trusting in yourself? Do you remember where you were, church, in that sense that you have gone as far as to uncover? You've gone as far as to say, I can't do anything else. I've done as much as I can do. I'm a sinner. I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't get to that place where where the Lord will will see fit to accept me. I, I can't do any more to earn his favor. And then Jesus... And then Jesus stepped in. We all were in need of a kinsman redeemer. The story shifts. There's a change in the atmosphere where we go, why is their names, why are their names not there? Why aren't they at the town square? Why aren't they at Boaz's door? Because that's how it is. In this life, we take it as far as we can go. And there's only one person that can redeem us. There's only one person that can take everything that we're not and turn that thing around and give us hope. I think about Jesus when he was on the mountain. Satan takes him up to the high mountain and he says, all this land could be yours. Do you remember? Do you remember? And Jesus says, don't tempt the Lord your God. This story sheds light on that situation. What do you mean? Well, In that moment, Satan thought he would tempt the Lord with something that he had control over. But the Lord said, I didn't come for the land. I came for the people. In this story, there is land, but there's a person. And she's the more important part of the story. And that's what we're going to see. Jesus, listen, he came for you. Every one of us should realize that in this moment, we have gone as far as we can do. You've taken this thing as far as you can take it. And if you want breakthrough, if you want deliverance, if you want to make something of your life, there's only one person that can step in and make the difference. In the final chapter where we choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we declare our loyalty to him, it can't be about what you've said. 
It has to be about what he said. It's not about what you have done, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man and or woman should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's what it's all about. This story sounds strangely familiar. Broken in sin. All of our possessions on the blink, on the verge of complete destitution. And then someone redeems it. Someone gives purpose to the pain. All right, now's the time to go and read chapter four. Look at chapter four, you ready? I don't know if you're ready for it, but we're gonna do it anyway, here we go. Now remember, chapter three ends with the two ladies going, okay, uh, this is it. We gotta see what Boaz does in the morning. You ready? This is what Boaz is gonna do. This is some strange stuff too. They're like customs and things. (laughs) I was gonna wear sandals this morning for the sake of the sermon, but it was just too cold. Y'all are just gonna have to picture my ugly feet in sandals, okay? We'll take off the shoe every now and then, but that's just what it's gonna be. You'll see what I mean here in a minute. Look at verse number one of chapter four. Boaz went to the gate of the town. When you see gate, that's another word for authority. The gate, the place of decision, the courtroom, if you will. The place where uh, the leaders of the, the town and the city meet, that was the town gate. That's the, the, the verbiage. It's not like, well, why do you go to the gate? That's, it's saying the place of authority, the place where decisions were made. That, that was the gate. And he sat down there. Soon, the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Huh, so it's strategic, right? This fellow that he knew was next in line to take Ruth stopped by the town gate. He knew who he was, right? Watch the way the narrator portrays this. Boaz said, hey, come over here. Sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, the man, the closest one in line, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belongeth to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of, the, of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you, don't, if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and, and I am next after you. And what does he say in verse number four? Anybody see it? He says, I want to redeem it, he answered. I want to redeem it. Now, now just wait. Boaz, is, he's a smart fella. He's doing this in just the right way. He says, listen, hey, everybody sit down here, the leaders. Uh, we need 10. We need some witnesses. Here's what's happening. You're the next in line. Uh, let, let's call him Bob. We have Boaz and Bob, okay? Boaz says to Bob, hey, Bob, you're the closest relative, closest kin Uh, to Naomi, she's selling her property. You know the whole kinsman redeemer thing? Deuteronomy 24, I think, or maybe Leviticus 24. You know the story. This is how we operate. The legality is you're the next one in line. Do you want the property that Elimelech had, Bob? Bob was like, heck yeah, I do. Let's do this thing. I'll buy it. You want to purchase it? You want the property? Bob was like, yes, done. Who do I make the checkout to? Naomi? Right now? Yeah, slow down there. Slow down there, Bob. Okay. He was a furniture salesman, I think, something like that in our area. (laughs) He says, I want to redeem it. 
Then Boaz said, verse 5, nothing like furniture salesmen. You know what I'm talking about? Those guys, man. They're almost worse than car salesmen. Hey, I'm going to sell you this piece of plywood and fabric for $10,000. <laughs> anyway, we got it made somewhere in Thailand for $2. It's like highway robbery, isn't it? Can you tell that I'm shopping for furniture right now? <laughs> I'm a little bitter. We're like, we're like looking at these things. I'm like, are you, I'm going gonna, gonna to make that thing. Sarah's like, oh, okay. Yeah, like the last 10 things that you were going to make. Uh-huh. Yeah, that you haven't gotten around to doing. I'm just like, man, I have a hard time paying like, Here's $35,000. It's just, we'll get a loan just like everything else in this society, which we don't really like doing. Um, we're not going to do it. Anyway, couches. Love sacks. What the heck? I mean, they just think because it has a cool name like Love Sack that people are going to pay extra for it. Like, that's weird. Anyway, that's, that's Ruth chapter three. Love Sack. There was some Love Sacks at the threshing floor. I think the kids are out of here. I hope so. Anyway, shays. Yeah, Love Sacks. Those things, 20 grand for that piece. Oh, and that's not even all of it. You want the, you want the extension? That's another 10. <laughs> and my name's Bob, and I'm a furniture salesman. Hmm. Anyway, so Bob, the guy who worked at the Love Sack store, he was like, look, I'm all in, Boaz. I'll take the property. Yes, you're right. I am the next in line. My name is Bob. Who do I make the checkout to? Let's continue to read. You ready? I want to redeem it. Verse number five, then Boaz said, I love the strategy here, the narrator is portraying. On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The redeemer replied, "Uh, I can't redeem it myself or I'll ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. Did you see what just happened? He was like, hey, Bob, you want this property? Yeah. (laughs) Does a bear, you know what in the woods? Yes, I want that property. Sign me up. I'm sending it right now. How much? Where do I make the checkout? Oh, well, Bob, if you buy the property, you get the Moabitess woman. You get the non-Jew as a part of this. Uh, On second thought, you know what I'm saying? I got to go, Boaz and You and I, we'll catch up later, all right? Let me know how that goes. You're the next in line, right? He's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. And Boaz is like, no, 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 no. You're not going anywhere. You stay right here. In front of these 10 elders, you see the the wisdom here of Boaz. The redeemer replied, I can't. Number seven, it says this. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right Redemption or exchange, the right of redemption or exchange of the property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. Aren't you glad you live today? He's like, look, because I'm a furniture salesman, I got tevas. <laughs> Have my teva. You know what I'm saying? Like, take my sandal and let's make this thing final. You know what I'm saying? He didn't have no cheap pair of sandals. I wish I had some tevas. Your tevas are so nice, babe. I'm saying, I like your tevas. And I'm being, that's not a euphemism. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Look at it right here. <laughs> he says, look, in order to make this thing, in order to make this thing legit, you gotta, you gotta take your sandal off. It's legally binding. This was the method, verse number eight. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. <laughs> verse number nine. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today. Don't miss this verse. I love this verse. 
your witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi. Does anybody see the next word? Come on now. Huh? All or everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among the relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, watch this, who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Epaphrathah and, and your name well known in where? Bethlehem. This transaction, they left Bethlehem, but this transaction roots them back in their hometown for a purpose. Uh-huh, it's coming. May verse 12, your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah. I wish I had time to go into that story. That's crazy. You think this one's crazy? That one was worse. Because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Look at verse 13. Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He slept with her. The Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. you got to understand the implications of this. It's what is happening in this situation is better than the plan you had what? Originally. She's better. What's happening is better than 10 sons. Why? Because of Boaz. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, became a mother to him. The neighbor woman said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of of David. <laughs> Look at the end there. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered uh, Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you have it, it's right there in the program. If you don't, scroll right there on your phone. Here's the rest of the story. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 6 says this. This is the beginning of the Gospels. The Gospel is all about who? Come on now, it's all about who? It's all about who? Simply who? Come on now, it's all about Jesus. What is this little story about Bethlehem and its roots have anything to do with the Gospels? It has everything to do with the Gospels. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. From Abraham to David. Here it is. You ready? Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Does this look familiar? Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashan, Nashan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, right there in the gospel, by who? Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed, by who? Ruth. 
This little old Moabitess woman makes her way into the genealogy of Jesus. Y'all aren't getting this, son. You just aren't getting it. Obed fathered Jesse. The little boy that was sitting on the lap of Naomi became the father of Jesse. And Jesse had 12 sons, I think it was. And there was a little boy named who? David. There's one more. You can't tell me that these are the sons, Samuel says. There's got to be another son that you have. And he is the, the anointed king of Israel. Well, there is David, a shepherd boy, tending to the sheep. Samuel meets him and he says, he's the one. From a little town called Bethlehem that was reestablished by land purchased back from, from Elimelech, a kinsman redeemer named Boaz that decided to give a Moabitess woman a chance, a chance at living. And what did he do? When he made that decision, he literally birthed a king. There's some implications of this story for you, in this story for you and I. Some like eternal implications. Boaz is a picture. It's a Christophany. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. And he is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He's a picture of how he redeemed us. And I just want to give you two things today. Online, in person, wherever you are that are absolutely, specifically for you in regards to this story. Two things that stand out to me. Number one is this. Before I say it, the picture of Christ, tangible. Boaz is now a tangible part of the lineage of Jesus. Now you see why this story carries so much significance in four chapters. It's literally the names of the person that will bring Jesus into this world. You, you see, this is free. This is not in the outline. When Israel, when Israel rushed the process to get a king, anybody remember the name of the first king of Israel? Come on now. Saul. Saul was the name of the first king of Israel, but Saul said this, why are you electing me? I'm a Benjamite. Anybody remember that? The kings were supposed to come from the tribe of Judah, and everybody knew it. The priests come from the tribe of Levi, and the kings come from the tribe of Judah. Saul said, why are you electing me as king? And they said, because you're head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. The average Israelite said, we're going to elect Saul because he's tall and he's handsome and he fits the part. Isn't that what we do? In our culture, you're tall, you're head and shoulders above everybody. You must be the guy. You're capable. You're the guy. You're the one. Uh-huh. And Saul was like, not really, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah, why not? You want to make me king? I'll take it. I'm a Benjamite. <laughs> That's hilarious. This is great. It really wasn't. He wrecked it. The kingdom, his son, he lost his sons. He lost everything. He was in a position that he was not supposed to be in. But the next guy was a man after God's own heart. Not perfect, broken. Not the tallest, but the smallest. But you see, the lineage was the line that Jesus, that the Lord sovereignly chose to be the king of Israel. You see, the world wants to tell you that it's about those that look right, act right. The videos that go viral, right? The talented people. That's not what God cares about. God cares about his plan and where you fit in his plan. 
let's take a, a lesson, let's tear it out from the Israelites' playbook and not elect a guy because he looks the part, but let, let's elect the guy based on the criteria that the Lord gives us. Doggone, my sandals are flopping around. Listen to me, listen to me. Here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna show you this morning. It's incredible that our Savior uses the stories of broken people to bring himself into this world. There's so much hope in this story, you don't even know. Here's the first thing I see, number one, Jesus doesn't redeem you based on your name or ability, he redeems you because he loves you. What do I see here? I see the narrator purposefully saying, all right, Boaz, tell the other guy, listen, stay with me, stay with me. He says to Boaz, or Boaz says to Bob, hey Bob, you want the land? Yeah. Do you know it comes with a Moabitess woman? No, I don't want that. You can have her. That ruins my inheritance. I need to keep it within my family. Jesus looks at you and I and he says, I don't care where you're from. I, I don't care, in fact, if you're from a foreign nation because at some point, oh my goodness, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what the gospel does is it says, I don't care what skin color you have. I don't care what country you come from. I don't care what language you speak. Jesus says, I redeem you because I love you, not because of who you are. Man. We take an isolated children of Israel, everything happens there, we don't do business with other people, and Jesus is burst out of that culture with foreigners in his bloodline. Yes, that's my God. My God looks at every one of you and he says, I don't care where you come from, what your background is, or what you've done. You're no longer a foreigner, you're a son and a daughter. Ruth is like literally in the field going, Boaz, why are you being kind to me? As the story evolves, she literally reaches the point where she has nothing to live for. She's put it all out there. And he goes, I've got you, sweetheart, because you're under the Lord's wing. And, and the narrator purposefully says, the story's incredible. She's a Moabitess woman. There is, there is no race within the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? There is, but there's no race. Every race is there. Everyone is represented by the love of Christ. He wants and loves everyone. Man, Jesus doesn't redeem you based on your name or your ability. He redeems you based, based on the fact that he loves you. Look, I know, the statistics show that the amount of people that are in here, maybe watching online, first service, there are some of you that are living your life, living your, your, your Christian life based on what you think what you do for Jesus. You're here trying to earn favor. You volunteer for ministry positions because you're trying to even the odds of the bad things that you've done. And, and the Lord doesn't have a weight system like that. Some religions do. Some religions are predicated on the good works that you've done outweighing the what? The bad. That's not in the Bible. It's not. In fact, the Lord says, you know how I got here? You know how I was born, how I came into this world? I chose people that were absolutely unable to be chosen themselves. 
They, abs- they, they actually were, they were literally foreigners that had no right to the land. I used extenuating circumstances to prove the fact that I love outsiders, that I love people like David, and his lineage is who I choose to bless, not the tall guy who's capable and has it all together. Do you understand the picture? This means you and I have hope. (laughs) We have hope. Everybody has hope. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter if you're tall, skinny, fat. It doesn't matter. He loves you and he cares for you and you have a place at the table. That's what I'm seeing. Here's a scripture for you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17. But we ought to thank God always, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. Don't miss this part, you ready? And through belief in the truth. (laughs) Ruth 1, 16 through 18. She what? She made a decision. I'm gonna decide to be loyal to the God of Israel. Hey, brothers and sisters, Paul said, because you made a decision to choose Jesus, you got the whole farm. You got everything. You hear me? Is this thing on? You see what he's saying? Look, he says this. He called you. He called you, too, through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the traditions you were taught whether by what we said or what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ and the God our Father who has loved us and given us an eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage your hearts, strengthen you in every good work and word. Look, he's given us everything when he gave us Jesus. Number two, here's the second thing and last. Jesus purchased, this is so, man, I love this. Jesus purchased the rightful reversal of everything negative in your life, giving you an inheritance incorruptible. Look at verse number nine in chapter four. Boaz said this to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. Everything. You see, here's the thing. Peter put it this way. Apostle Peter says this, in chapter one, verses one through five, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, watch this, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. A living hope, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let let me just... Let me just spit some hope over you. You ready? Maybe even figuratively and, uh, right? The glorious reversal experienced by Naomi and Ruth is a byproduct of Ruth's decision to be loyal to Yahweh. And Yahweh's, watch this, 
and Yahweh's ability to reward her faithfulness and bring her into the family of God. Look, are you in need of redeeming? Aren't we all? Who is not in need of redemption? Anybody here without sin? Anybody here without a struggle? Anybody here got it all together? Can I hire you? Anybody? Who's got the lucky rabbit's foot? Or the the horseshoe, you know where. Who's got it? Let's figure out who you are. Nobody does. We're all fallen, we're all broken, we all struggle. Yes? Yeah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him, Isaiah 53, the iniquity of us what? Oh, but, but then there's another verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But he's faithful to do according to all that he has said. He is not willing, I'm paraphrasing, he is not willing, I'm somewhere between KJV and CSB, I'm not sure. He is not willing, scripture says, that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. You see, you're the Ruth. We're the ones in the story that have done everything that we can do. And wherever you are in your life, understand this, the Lord sees you in your place. He sees you in your sorrow. He sees you in the land of struggle. He sees you in the land of desire, knowing that you want it. And we all, at one point in our life or another, are left with a choice. And we can choose, but I'm a Moabitess woman, but I don't come from that. That's not my background. I don't care what your background's from. If you're watching online or you're here in person, I don't care. Take your shoe off and make a covenant with Yahweh. Take your shoe off and decide that you will be loyal to him. And watch this, he's gonna be loyal to you. The best decision I ever made was declaring my loyalty to Jesus Christ. And he stepped in and he said, all right, Robinson, I'm your kinsman redeemer. You know what that means? I buy everything in your life. I don't take something broken and use it in its brokenness until it's gone. I I purchase something and I make it new. And then you run in a new glorified state and your inheritance, everything and more that you will be in the eternal kingdom of God is kept safe in heaven. And the way I do that is by my Holy Spirit. When you declare your loyalty to me, I send the comforter and he seals you under the day of redemption. And he says, guess what? My spirit, he'll instruct you. My spirit, he'll convict you of sin. My spirit will be there every step of the way. I struggle, I don't know what to do. His spirit is there. I don't think I can get victory over that. Then you're saying, you haven't redeemed me. You haven't bought that part of me. No, it's someone else is going back to the graveyard. Someone else is living in Moab instead of the new home in Bethlehem. When the Lord purchases you as a kinsman redeemer, he purchases every part of you, every part of your struggle. And this morning, what he's saying to you is this, I'm doing it because I love you, not because of what you bring to the table. Look, I'm here today to present a clear presentation of the gospel. That's all this is. Ruth is a clear presentation that Jesus loves you, the gospel was done for you, and that if you put your faith and trust, if you say, Ruth 1.16, Lord, where you want me to go, guess what? I'll go. I know there's questions. I know you don't understand all of it, 
but he's got that all figured out. He's ready on his end. He's got all the details worked out, but I want it all right now. It's okay, that's why we pray. Our Father, thy king, thy will on as it is. Did we not hear that from the Apostle Peter? It's kept. But you see, we got a bunch of Christians that are like, yeah, I'm just down here doing my thing until you come back. Uh Uh-uh. He wants you to live the kingdom life now. In the struggle? Yeah. It actually gives the pain purpose. It actually allows you to struggle and have literally a vision through the suffering as to what he did for you on the cross. Paul said, look, I have power in his resurrection and I have fellowship in his sufferings. Unfortunately, some will be like Bob and they'll be like, I don't really like the terms of the agreement. I'm gonna keep my Tevas on and we'll talk later. Okay, we'll we'll talk later. Jesus gave it all. Jesus said, I'm literally out there for everyone. I'm I'm not willing to lose one. But we hang on to things that aren't even, that don't even matter. When the Lord asks to redeem us, we say, no, I'm good doing it by myself. I'm good. Look, if we could just turn one to Jesus, it would be worth it all. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.